explicitly said. He said, uh, we shall eventually merge capitalism and communism together. And he says, we don't mind who we deal with as a royal institutor that comes from foreign relations. We deal with dictators, tyrants, uh, democracies, communists, uh, and so on. He said, because the, the greater plan was to eventually bring them all step by step into the same system, merge them. And what they've done through the great experimentation, and that's what it is. Uh, you'd understand when America was created after the revolution, they called it the Great Experiment. And it was a study, a massive study that we'd done on the populace. The communist revolution was called the Second Great Experiment, the two systems. I, I think I hear music coming up, so I'll be back after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, cutting through the matrix, and I was just mentioning how the great experiments of the different systems were eventually to be merged together, and when I traveled across the, the, the world, I call it the old world because so much has changed since I went around it, I saw that different countries were doing big social experiments with their populations and Holland was one where they pretty well reversed roles and the men were encouraged to stay home. They were paid to stay home and look after the babies and stuff like that. So I, I knew there was tremendous social engineering, and which was not by chance. Someone was taking data on this, and we saw what was happening in the Soviet system as well because the Soviet people themselves are no different from anyone else across the world. They take whatever they're given as truth as well their propaganda, their indoctrinations, and, and they believe in the system that's created for them. Uh, but they were also getting their particular um, system of security, which is now merged with the U.S. If you've noticed, the heads of, of Soviet departments now are the heads of homeland security in the U.S. That's not by chance. Because even with the Ford uh, Foundation, when they were asked during the Rees Commission on foundations and all the power and influence they, they had, and a book came out called Foundations, Their Power and Influence with the Rees Commission on, on what they were actually funding, the Ford uh, CEO told, I think it was Chairman Norman Dodds, uh, they told him our function is to merge comfortably and easily the Soviet system with America. This was all done under the auspices of the Royal Institute for International Affairs that ran all sides of everything. And that's why things are going the way that they are today. Now, I just got a letter from a person I know who was brought up in the communist system. And this is part of his letter here. It's, it's amazing how synchronicities work. Because I was thinking about this, and then came a letter. And he said... Um, in the early 50s in communist East Europe, they introduced the same personality profiling as is now being done in the West. Looks like there was good cooperation with Royal and Super International Affairs. At workplaces, some colleagues were in charge of reporting on the others, and at the personnel, they kept files on each of us, personnel offices. On the housing blocks, they were the moles called entrusted agent of the block. In the villages, they were reporters of the moods. In other words, how your personality was and how it was going. So this system was truly international. We also saw chemtrails back in the 50s in Hungary and discussed them with schoolmates who didn't know what they were. Now, that's true enough. They were testing out the same stuff they're doing today back in the 50s. And I can remember uh, asking my uncle 
at one point in Britain, who was in the RAF, Royal Air Force, but those big trails were in the sky, these figures of eight that lasted for hours and hours, and he couldn't answer either, and he was in the Air Force. He'd never seen them before. They were testing out the chemicals that they're now dumping on us today, which are tranquilizing us, because you use tranquilizers when you went populations to go through massive, massive cultural changes. But to continue with his letter, he says, but I went to primary school with to hand in a written autobiography on her family, briefly stating what the parents did before and after liberation. The communist teachers told us that the national state will die away. Now, that's true, that's the theory, and that there will be no family. The children will be taken away from the mothers and become wards of the state. Now, we know for a fact that the war on the family in the West was just as intense. They had more to overcome, mainly through propaganda and working on both male and female, making them both dissatisfied, raising the status of single mothers, and then the state comes in as a new father and raises the child, basically, on subsidies, daycare, and so on. And this same thing was written in 1861 in a theatrical play of the Hungarian writers that he mentioned at the top of the letter. It was also mentioned as well, of course, in Karl Marx's manifesto, although he didn't really write it up. So this thing was planned not only in the 1920s, but 150 years ago. But if you go back to the days of Plato, the Republic, which they all quote at the top, it was planned then too. They said in the 1950s, the world system will be a scientific socialism. Today I see the same slogans reappear as the communists told us. While a communism at the West, only the Central Committee are aristocrats or nature's nobility, as is said in the Harry Potter story of the best. And, and that's, that's standard. That's all factual. This is someone who's awake and sees the same system and control here. Uh, we also find, too, of course, that Bertrand Russell, who had the experimental schools in the West, given full approval to start them up, where he did things that no other school could have done without going to prison, at least for the ones in the top, um, he was trying to destroy the family by encouraging all kinds of things, including... Um, pre-pubertal sex uh, with them with intent that the more partners they have the, the very slim chance would be of them bonding when they got older and that's pretty well been accomplished in today's society and it was to be intergenerational they said it would take them three generations of steady indoctrination into the new system, free sex all the rest of it, until casual sex would be the normal amongst children and, and it's all been successful I know they're going on a roll with all of this television. It is the new normal, it truly is, with all these supposed reality shows where they pick a bunch of Hollywood children and dress them up, put them in a big mansion, and everybody's eyes are stuck on the little childish chatter. But they have all these hormones and no brain. And that's what the youngsters are taught to adopt. But because their parents are also degenerated through their indoctrinations, they let it go, and that's how it's been done. They could never have started this 30, 40, 50 years ago at this stage. They have to give us three generations because each generation, as it's been brought down, accepts more and more degeneration. Quite simple because these guys at the top work, as I say, in generations and even centuries. That's what foundations do. Uh, Quigley himself said that foundations can accomplish their purpose because a foundation has tenets, they have a system with built into it and they can recruit people who will work their entire lives with them 
retire and pass on their knowledge to young recruits coming in. It could take generations to achieve their objective, but because they're well-funded and, and have employees and pension plans and recruitment drives, they can actually pull off a goal. Even if it takes them one, two, three hundred years, it makes no difference. They can do it. And if you go into even Weishaupt's writings, he talked about the use of the great foundations that would be built up uh, to master the world. So did Mr. Albert Pike. It's been successful. And they go under charities, even with the, the new chip, the Masonic chip, they call it. All Freemason uh, lodges now and magazines are pushing the chipping of children for their safety. And if you go into the histories written by the Cater Coronati Lodge in England, which is their premier lodge for their own historical records, they'll tell you that they were the ones that gave us the standard education and the international system of education. They pushed for all these things. And the useful idiots at the bottom do it willingly. They don't know what they're really doing. All part of a global agenda. But, you know, we live in a... And quite a world, it's a macabre world of fantasy, more fantasy than reality. And all you have to do is create a form of dissociation. You dissociate people from true reality. And this is a technique that was well studied on the Far East and even in Buddhism. And Ten's interest by scientists over a hundred years ago went into the study of Buddhism especially because they found that disassociative techniques were used in the pupils or the students of Buddhism where they could walk through incredible scenes, even if it was slaughter, and not be affected because nothing to them really was real. Uh, they already found this out in some forms of ardent Hinduism, but they were also taught that nothing was real. Everything was a thought or a mirror thought of Brahma. And so you could watch a whole tribe being slaughtered and it wouldn't affect you because it was all illusions and, and dreams, basically. That's where we are almost today, because on the West, they decided to use entertainment. Massive, massive entertainment. All working together through magazines, radio, television, movies, and so on, novels, to create this associative state which we all live in today. For most people, as you go through life, nothing is really real. That's why at the top, they can tell them amazing things that are going to affect them personally, and, but they don't think it will affect them personally. They must be talking about someone else, not me. I'm special. I live in my little cocoon here, and I go home at night, and I, I watch television, and I zonk out. And my favorite shows are always on. As long as my favorite shows are on, the world must be just hunky-dory. Simple as that. It's as simple as that. I saw this in the 70s and 80s in Britain, a time when the culmination of the deindustrialization process signed at the end of World War II by Britain's leaders into the United Nations and the U.S. agreement because that was part of the signatory, they, they would actually deindustrialize the West, but mainly Britain. Uh, I saw it culminating in the, the, really the 60s, 70s, and 80s with massive unemployment. Every day there was factories closing year after year, week after week, and this was the normal. Uh, suicide was higher in Britain than even Sweden. Sweden used to hold the records 
and it was an apathetic feeling. I used to hate coming back to Britain to see what was happening to it. But the welfare system was pushed to the maximum. The welfare offices themselves were all painted inside like battleship grey. It was admitted years later it was the most depressing colour, a neutral type colour, and that's why they all painted them as battleship grey. Massive psychology used even on the poor and the desperate. I saw that. I saw people, I had to, I cut one guy down who hung himself in the same street because he lost his job. That was the Great Britain back then. Well, guess what? It's coming to you. It's coming to America. In fact, it's already here. We're being kept afloat artificially, and they haven't given you a substitute to take over. We're back after the following messages. Hi, folks. Alan Watt back, cutting through the matrix. And just given a little bit of history of how everything that happened even in the 60s, 70s and 80s into the 90s was planned. The deindustrializing of most countries in Europe, but mainly Britain. The massive fallout in society. It was terrible. Uh, divorces galore. Everybody starts divorcing when there's no money. Uh, the shame that everyone felt being on welfare where they were treated like, like some sort of criminal. And yet that was encouraged. Margaret Thatcher, a great Maggie Thatcher, the Iron Lady, uh, said she actually extended the opening times for bars because she, um, at that time there used to be a morning time, 10 till 1 or 2, and then opened again at, uh, later on in the evening till about uh, 11 at night. She extended it all day. The reason being, she said, will keep the unemployed youth off the streets where they could be protesting or rioting. So everything was managed, you see, as long as they gave them enough money for, for staying in the bars where things seemed less hopeless, they wouldn't be causing any problems as we went through that change. And the same thing, as I say, is to happen in the States. In the States, they knew there'd be much more trouble because of a different outlook on life. There's still memory, at least, of something that was supposed to be freedom, and therefore, over the last 20-odd years, they've been building up a massive internal army and many factions of and divisions of it to deal with all the strife that they see coming down the pike. They go through the massive changes, and it's, it's pretty well being implemented now, and it's all been done under this utter rubbish office for your safety. When guys are walking around looking menacingly, dressed in black like executioners, and that's why they chose the black color, with machine guns and asking you to bend over, uh, that is not for your safety. And every other age, that was called despotism and tyranny and terror, and that's the object of terrorizing the public. That's what that is. That's not called civilization, at least in my definition. Now, Valérie Giscard d'Estaing was the author of the European Constitution. And this is a quote from him. Now listen carefully, those that are harder thinking. It says, public opinion will be led to adopt without knowing it. The proposals that we dare not present to them directly. All the earlier proposals will be in the new text but will be hidden and disguised in some way. Right? That's the guy who authored the European Constitution. At least he was at the head of the committee that did it. 
sorry, Giscard d'Estaing. I'll read it again, because this is happening here too. This is the sort of arrogant boast they'll give once in a while. Knowing that most of the public are, have their minds off in some reality TV show, public opinion will be led to adopt, led to adopt, public opinion will be led to adopt, without knowing it, the proposals that we dare not present to them directly. All the earlier proposals will be in the new text that will be hidden and disguised in some way. And that was put through in the last constitution that had been thrown out by the people of Europe. That's how arrogant these characters are. They know they can just sit back, reword something, tuck it away in some massive new bill, pass it through, and it's law. It's now legal. They have the legal rights to do whatever uh, they wish including killing you if need be. It's all quite legal. It's not bad being uh, a member of the tyrant's club. There's nothing really that's illegal for you to do uh, because you make sure that you write everything into law that you want to do. Now it is legal. And that's what they've done in the US, Canada, and across Europe and Scandinavia, and across the world, this big international club that runs the countries, all the countries, have passed the same laws to, to give themselves the rights so that they're not accused of being criminals. The right to do whatever they wish with you, to spy on you, to listen into all your conversations, have all access to all your data because you must be predictable. You could be a terrorist and you don't even know it yet. You could be a secret Muslim or a potential Muslim and all that utter nonsense, utter rubbish and claptrap. As I say, when you see men, goons, dressed in black with machine guns, ordering you around, you better believe you're in big trouble. Now, Hollywood has been churning out movie after movie after movie since the Pentagon started funding them with millions and millions of dollars. They put out exciting movies to deal with terrorism. They've had more terrorist acts on celluloid, celluloid than they have had in reality. Just like the propaganda movies they put out in World War II. Hollywood put so many war movies out in World War II, they fired more, more blanks or, than real bullets that were fired in World War II. That's how bad it was. But all these terrorist movies they're churning out now, always wrapped up in a good story to tell you that, and to condition you that here's the guys, here's the goon squad, the guys all look the same, just like the, the soldiers, the faceless soldiers in the, the Star Wars movies running through the streets, banging down doors, uh, that's all quite natural. Because there's terrorists out there doing all, things, all sorts of things every day on celluloid in studios in Hollywood, but nowhere else. That's how you change reality and the perception of reality. And getting back to the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the system, the coordinating system that was set up really uh, at the beginning of the 1900s which emerged out of the Cecil Rhodes Foundation on behalf of British royalty and I'll go into this in more depth after these messages You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth
Hi, I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, trying to show you that nothing that happens happens by chance. Conditioning takes a little while to work on the victims, and they have all the time in the world because their whole lives were being brought up in a Pavlovian scientific system. So were our parents. They didn't know it either. They had less of a clue than we do because they went under too. And they also came through wars. They had the World War II, the Korea, Vietnam, and then the UN had little wars all over the planet, as they still do, because the UN was set up to be the global army, to be the global dictatorship that would run the world eventually when they had power, which they will do when the three main trading blocks are all united. The UN is meant to take over as a supreme council, basically. That was its purpose. Read in to, to the books of the founders of the United Nations. Read into the books that were put out during, especially during World War II in the U.S. by the big boys on the United Nations. They all worked towards it. And their job was to write lots of propaganda to convince a post-war world why they must accept global government. And they put out lots and lots of books uh, on this subject and it didn't quite take so well, so they, they, they simply put it in a quieter mode for a while while they worked steadily towards it. And they realized it would probably take them another 50 years to get their agenda through. I've been pretty successful so far because Europe is united against the wishes of its people, which shows that true democracy really does exist because it never existed at all. A democracy is a con game. Always was. And now it's the same thing with the North American Union. You have the Council on Foreign Relations admitting publicly on national television in countries like Canada that they drafted up the whole, the whole uh, deals that are signed every year by the President and Prime Ministers of Mexico and Canada and the U.S., they sign the further integration since 2005. Every year, they just go up there, don't even read it, they just sign it, because that's their job, their front man. And it becomes more integrated in such a way that cannot be pulled apart. That's what they, they tell you. So many lawyers working on it would take them so many years to unravel. I don't see why, since any law that's put in the books can just be thrown out. I've got a good wood stove here, it could probably go through quite a lot all at once. That's how you get rid of all bad laws. Quite simple. You don't need lawyers to do it. And we're integrating, as I say, through this Council on Foreign Relations, which is just the Royal Institute for International Affairs. You'll notice, too, that when Bill Clinton had his little dalliances and his, played his little cigar trick, blowing smoke rings, um, he didn't go in front of the American public right away to answer for his naughtiness. No, he went, he was called up to the Council on Foreign Relations, he addressed them. Now, they are a non-governmental organization, this powerful bunch. How come he had to go and address them before he addressed anyone else? Before he even addressed the people he's supposed to represent, supposed to, again, the con game. Well, you see, he was going to the ones he represents because those guys are his peers and his bosses. The parallel government is alive and well, and most people haven't a clue of reality because pretty well all of their spare time is taken up by 
entertaining themselves through fiction. Downloading themselves through fiction, watching countless heroes win in, uh, battles against terrorism, which is just all over the place, all from Hollywood, and they're programmed. I mean, it's, it's impossible to, to shake most people out of it. They're gone. So I tried and addressed those who are awake, uh, those who are trying to get awake, or as they said, in ages gone by, those who are trying to walk, you teach the, the lame to walk, you leave the dead to bury their dead. You can't lead people into a reality who don't want to come to it. It's impossible. Don't frustrate yourself. But for those who are trying to understand, you help the blind to see, and you help the lame to walk. So be very careful how you expend your energy and your time, because the time truly is short now. This is a battle for the entire planet. It's a, it's a battle for every human being on the planet because they intend to take us over completely and not just through propaganda and indoctrinations and inoculations and spraying and giving you food that makes you very sick. They also want to rebuild a better class of slaves, purpose-made slaves, the ideal design, the other meaning behind ID, ideal design. Now, they're on a roll as they try and uh, eradicate the last vestiges of what they call quaint, old-fashioned uh, cultures. And they want to standardize the world, especially what's left of the Middle East, where they still have families and they have a religion which they tend to go along with and a culture that's very old. They're probably the last bastion that holds out. They don't belong to the World Bank unless they get smashed into the ground and they're forced onto it and the debt system. And then UNESCO moves in to inoculate everyone and train the first young bunch of youngsters in their schools to grow up to be good little democratic leaders or puppets, depends how you view it. So here's what they're going to do now. And this, this is also a propaganda piece because otherwise it would not be released into the newspapers. And this is from The Guardian. It's January the 22nd, 2008. It says, preemptive nuclear strike, a key option, NATO told. Now remember, as I say, this is, this is meant to terrify us. That's why it's released to the public. But it's also meant to terrorize all the other peoples across the world that haven't given in yet. The West must be ready to resort to a preemptive nuclear attack. That means you, you strike first, you kill first. To try and halt the imminent spread, it says it's imminent. So there's a little, a little adjective, adjective put in there to make you think it's an imminent spread of nuclear and other weapons of mass destruction. According to a radical manifesto, the love manifestos, for a new NATO, a new NATO. Remember, NATO is a scrambled atom, the old sun god from Egypt by five of the West's most senior military officers and strategists. Also look at the NATO logo, and if you're very good at being able to see things in different ways, you'll see a little hidden swastika in there, a Novu swastika. Calling for root and branch reform of NATO and a new pact drawing the US, NATO and European Union together. So we're all getting pulled together now that we're all amalgamating. In a grand strategy, they love grand and great because they have the great lodges and the grand work, the great work to fulfill. To tackle the challenges of an increasingly brutal world, increasingly brutal, well, they should know since they're doing all the brutalizing, the former 
the former armed forces chiefs from the US, Britain, Germany, France and the Netherlands insist that a first strike nuclear option remains an indispensable instrument since there is simply no realistic prospect of a nuclear-free world. Oh, my goodness, eh? The manifesto has been written following discussions with active commanders and policymakers, many of whom are unable or unwilling to publicly air their views. I could add, being good rules, like a passive they are. It has been presented to the Pentagon in Washington and to NATO's Secretary General, Jap de Hoop Schaefer, over the past 10 days. The proposals are likely to be discussed at a NATO summit in Bucharest in April. The risk of further nuclear proliferation is imminent. That's around the corner, you see. It's imminent. And with it, the danger that nuclear war fighting, albeit limited in scope, might become possible, might become possible. Well, the sky might fall too. We can make, make this fall out of orbit and all the rest of it. There's lots of possibilities. The authors argued in the 150-page blueprint for urgent reform of Western military strategy and structures. The first use of nuclear weapons must remain the quiver of escalation as the ultimate instrument to prevent the use of weapons of mass destruction. The authors, General John Shalakashvili, a former chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff and NATO's ex-Supreme Commander in Europe, General Klaus Neumann, Germany's former top soldier and ex-chairman of NATO's military committee, General Henk van den Bremen, a former Dutch Chief of Staff, Admiral Jacques Langsad, a former French Chief of Staff, and Lord Inge, Inge is a strange name, I-N-G-E, Field Marshal and ex-Chief of General Staff, and the Defence Staff in the UK, in other words, the whole kit and caboodle them, paint an alarming picture of the threats and challenges confronting the West and the post-9-11 world on the ability to cope. So they're going to bomb the hell out of everybody, and that's their answer to it. But really, as I say, that's a propaganda piece to terrify all those who won't buckle under and conform into the standardization process of the new society for the world. That's really what it's for. And also to keep all the people across the world, the people who believe all this rubbish, uh, that uh, we should be all frightened. Frightened, you see. Because there's just so many crazies out there running around with nukes and stuff, and they're generally in military arsenals in your own country. So maybe they should start blowing them up then, since they hold all this stuff, all the weapons of mass destruction. If they're so worried about them, why don't they just get rid of them? But that will never happen, will it? Because psychopaths never give away their tools of their trade. And they never give away their cards either. But that's a propaganda piece put into The Guardian, which uh, doesn't surprise me at all. Most of the stuff in the media is propaganda. Now we've got Maggie from Texas on the line. Are you there, Maggie? Hello, Maggie? Yes. Uh, my question concerns TV, which you mentioned before. Um, I noticed the exact moment when the TV dramas changed from a format of just generalized sale of sex and violence to uh, very specific propaganda scripts. But what I noticed at the same time, and it surprised me, was that the vocabulary seemed to get very much more sophisticated, and it seemed to be not only written by a different group of people, older, middle-aged even, but using vocabulary and allusions, literary allusions, musical allusions, and so on, that almost would not be understood by 
most people educated who are under uh, 40 now, or 35 certainly, and I just wondered if you have noticed the same thing and why you think they did that and to what audience you think they are appealing. I think what it is too is that um, when you use linguistic minimalism, and that's what Orwell called it, uh, they have created a society, a young society, who have fewer words in use than any other previous uh, generation, uh, which makes it harder for them to express thoughts. However, they admire people who can. Do they? And Yes, they admire people who can put things over succinctly because it's a trait that they should have, but it's not, it's not been taught to them. In fact, it's been discouraged. Therefore, when they put stuff out in dramas, etc., especially when it's their hero figures on the dramas, the cops, the, the military, anti-terrorist squads, and all this stuff, and all these fictional stuff, uh, they, they will identify even more with these people because they admire them. And so you're right, they have brought in more um, uh, higher, highly qualified writers, script writers, and Hollywood is working hand-in-glove with the Pentagon on all of this stuff. Oh, yeah, that's very obvious. Um, but I remember I knew a screenwriter or a scriptwriter about 10 years ago, and she was talking about how um, you might make it in movies a little, but you could never be a scriptwriter for TV unless you were under 30, preferably 20, under 25, and that certainly went away overnight. Yes, uh, yes, and, and they also did realize, too, uh, that the skill wasn't there, even in the, in the very young. Uh, they, they thought that they could write even more immature scripts, keep them mm -hmm. absorbed by getting young people in, but it really didn't wash over because the, the youngsters, it was just too familiar to the youngsters. There was nothing to really watch. It was just like their everyday life. So they had mm -hmm. to bring more intelligence into it to try to grab their attention, hold their attention, probably get their, their do uh, indoctrination. Okay. Well, thank you for your insights, and I'm glad you've noticed what I noticed. Yeah, thanks for calling. Sure. Now we've got Ron from Michigan there. Are you there, Ron? Hello, Alan. Uh, yes. Great to speak with you. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned something uh, a few weeks ago about uh, their altering copy, and I was curious about that. I didn't I hear you uh, expound on that. And, uh, <coughs> yeah. yeah, it was about 10, <coughs> about 10 years ago in the Toronto Sun newspaper. It was also in the Toronto Star. So I guess it was in all major newspapers at the time. Uh, it just mentioned in, it was actually the business section. That's all that was left in a restaurant, so I just grabbed it and looked at it. And it just mentioned that the purchasers, the coffee purchasers, uh, had demanded from the growers that they, they change to the modified coffee shrub or they would not purchase their coffee. And I, it made no sense, but I thought, well, Obviously, the, the, the producers weren't complaining that their yields were too low. It was nothing to do with cost or anything on the behalf of the purchasers, but the purchasers were mandating that the, the producers change over to this modified, genetically modified bean. Oh. And, and I realized then there was a different agenda behind it. And sure enough, you know, coffee has changed uh, big time uh, since then. Uh, I, I, I'm sure, uh, you see, if you want to alter people, and this was discussed at top levels, you go for the things they commonly use. They commonly use. If you notice, Monsanto went for the most common uh, daily intakes in food, the types you take up fairly well on average every day or every week. Corn, they went for boy. those ones first. Same thing for the coffee. If you want to alter people, dumb them down, even make them sick, 
um, you, you can use plants. Now, plants are fantastic for producing drugs. Opium comes from a poppy. <laughs> Heroin comes from the opium. So, so and they knew this in ancient times. You can alter people's moods, behaviors by altering simple plants to produce certain, certain uh, drugs or, or, or even, even acids or whatever. Uh, this is, that's why they brought top scientists and kept this secret from the public under law at the top that they were altering all of their food but also altered the coffee uh, because um, this was a must-be operation uh, that admitted in Canada uh, that um, uh, Monsanto had a secret deal with the Canadian government to experiment on the, on the population of Canada for 10 years without our knowledge. Now, during that whole time, they were obviously taking the data from all hospitals, uh, doctors, and so on, on the changes in the physiology uh, and the state of health of the public. Uh, right. So they had other things they were looking for, I'm sure, and we know the IQ has dropped, it's officially dropped. <laughs> uh, we, we know that the body shape of, of the people in the West is, is incredible, it's, it's just gone out of all proportions, it's altering all the time. You can see it's it done, just looking in their faces in the stores, you know. Yeah, so they've, they've altered the coffee as well, and I don't trust it when they bring in top scientists that take different genes from different creatures and put it into coffee beans. My goodness. When there was no need for it in the first place. No, no. The coffee I've seen in you know in Mexico have been you know, almost tree size. So I know yeah. that they do have you know, shrubs. Yeah. Or, you know, so, so yeah, check back the newspapers and find out those articles. You'd be quite surprised. I'll be back after these messages. I'm Alan Watt, cutting through the Matrix, and we have Keith from Florida. Are you there, Keith? Hello? Hello, Keith? Hey. Uh, speaking of uh, mindless juvenile propaganda, um, uh, 2007 was the 50th anniversary of Atlas Shrugged. I don't know if you're aware of that. but Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, I and Rand, um, who I, you know, I got turned off to her years ago because I just, it was, Reading her books was like watching some sort of perverted uh, 1950s military propaganda film written by uh, Barbie doll or something. Yeah, she was Alice. Her name was Alice. Uh, it was Morgan Toller. Oh, was she, Yeah, she, uh, she was sent over to, to lead what many were ordinary people who thought there was, she was standing up for individual liberty. Right. But they didn't realize she was standing up reiterating and voicing on behalf of the people like Rothschild, that was her lover, you know. Oh, no, really? Uh, she was that. actually putting out their right, what they believed, uh, for those who were superior to rule the, mind, the, the majority underneath them and that the laws that they had uh, uh, for the public did not affect them. She thought that genius had the right to rule those that were rather silly or stupid, according to her. And, uh, and she was quite the, the woman for this. She was a eugenicist, uh, no doubt about it. Yeah, she uh, she she put together this uh, this bizarre collective, which Alan Grant, Greenspan was a uh, member, and and 
she and uh, a few others put together a collection of, of uh, ethical essays, you know, on their on their objectivist philosophy called the virtue of selfishness. Yeah, that's right. And it was really just uh, just a lot of nonsense. But uh, recently, I stumbled on an old clip of her on the Phil Donahue show, and I tell you, I mean, even in her late age, I mean, she was very mean spirited, and and uh, some of the some of the stuff that she said was just uh, absolutely outrageous. It's amazing to this day that that people are are so beguiled by uh, they, they that fall evidence. for it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, again, it's always two ways of looking at something. Yeah. And the, the majority of the public that followed her were really the, the lower middle class, thinking sure. she was standing up for individuality. But for those from the elite point of view, she was actually pushing uh, what their beliefs were. And she was the mistress of Rothschild and others at the top. Wow. And uh, she believes in their right, the genius's right to rule the lesser. Yeah, I understand. I mean, her. Uh, I mean, she. She. I mean, her English was uh, pretty amazing for being uh, raised in, in old, uh, the old. old oh, she Russia. was. She was raised exactly for her purpose. Believe yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, I, I believe it. I mean, old propaganda, Hollywood. Uh, That's right. B movies and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, anyways, I just wanted to hear. Uh, you know, uh, any, right. anything new. So. Uh, Thanks for calling. Thank you, Alan. Have a good night. Don from Canada. Are you there, Don? Hello, Don. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, just to touch on a couple things here. Uh, you were talking about coffee earlier and the fact that uh, I, I can't believe how many people drink this Tim Hortons coffee that they sell up here. I yeah. mean, I see everybody, everybody carrying around a cup, and I've never seen this until, like, just recently, like, after, you know, Big event on nine one one or whatever. Everybody drinks that coffee, and I can't stand it. I mean, I I've gone organic, so I can't really uh, uh -huh. vouch for that coffee because I I've, I've tasted it once and it tastes like swill. But uh, that's just me. But mm -hmm. I mean, just to say that you know they're putting something in that coffee, they say that they haven't, but I know that they do. I well, have you a, the, I have that the feeling. purchasers, you see, the main purchasers are, have the clouds. They buy the beans on wholesale. And yeah, why would they demand they all change to these particular modified beans? Oh, exactly. And that's why I don't trust them. Oh, no, I don't trust them either. Well, thanks Another for thing, I just, uh, I just wanted to say uh, that... No, uh, it's cutting off, and that's the end of the show. <laughs> From Hamish, myself, in Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.